welcome world. You guys are live fed all over the world today, and you're going to be a part of the sermon. So it's going to be an interactive one. Uh, but we, we want to start off with a, a video. I want you guys to see this. This happened, uh, just, I'll set it up real quick. This was on the news last night in Houston at the, the new water park in Katy. Go ahead. Water park officials say they... Okay, we'll get there sooner or later. The typhoon Texas Saturday afternoon. A far cry from the crowded and chaotic scene at the water park late Friday night. It was insane. There was standing behind us, in front of us, people were throwing tunes. 16-year-old Emily Tyrus was one of thousands of teens who paid to attend an overnight Christian lock-in at the park put together by a third-party organization. You know, it was supposed to be good, clean fun for fifth graders to, to seniors. Instead, rowdy behavior and some say kids smoking pot ruined the night. I was in the lazy river when I was pushed. Emily ended up having to go to the hospital to get stitches on her chin. <laughs> Water park officials say they had no choice but to end the lock-in early. Forcing out about 5,000 attendees, many of them teens, in the middle of the night. Security was not the issue. The issue was our patrons were not abiding by our code of conduct and our standards. And while this appears to be a one-time issue at this point, Emily says she's not planning to head back to Typhoon, Texas anytime soon. I'm extremely disappointed. I'm disappointed in the kids who made this a terrible experience for those who were actually being respectful. We did reach out to the third party organization that helped plan the event to find out if people will get refunds, but we have not yet heard back. Reporting from Katie, Samantha Tashkin, KPRC Channel 2 News. That was the church. Christian lock-in last night in Katie, Texas. 5,000 kids that uh, represented us so well that they got kicked out of the water park at 1 o'clock in the morning. No parents to pick up their children. The girl that was speaking obviously was there. You could hear in her voice just brokenness almost when she was talking, scared. That's, that's the picture of the church that people saw last night. And I hate to tell you guys this, it's not just the teens. It's not just, just the kids, fifth graders to 12th graders. The subject before this came on last night that, that the title of the sermon today is Stubborn Sin. And it really is talking about... Um, how we are compromised living our lives with sin, with the activity of sin constantly in our lives. So I put this together, and I'm watching this on the news, and I'm thinking, man, the enemy, he's working. Every day he's working. And when you go out to pray for somebody or you go out to operate in the kingdom, this is, this is what a lot of people see us as. You know, when you, when you play church, when you have a, a great program for kids, 
A great program for people to get involved with, but you don't give them the real stuff, the stuff that changes their life. We just kind of, we just go through the motions. And we never address the things that really keep us in bondage or keep us in chains from experiencing the fullness of the kingdom. And that's all of us. And and today is really uh, about dealing with stubborn sin, that sin that stays in our life. And I bet you guys can relate. We've done a poor job in the church of training the church how to deal with sin. We're more worried about community. We're more worried about um, friendship, having a good time, than we are giving people the tools to live in this world in a way that they're reflecting the true nature of, of Jesus. And they actually experience peace and joy. There are people in this church, I can tell you they've been in this church for 15 years, that, tell, that would tell me, and they're, they're here today, they haven't experienced joy. They've been coming to the church, this church, for 15 years. And they hear this, the message every Sunday. And there's probably more than one, I promise you. That's a foreign word to us. Joy. We read it. I saw some hands go up. We read it in the, in, in the word, but we don't experience it in our lives. So the church has to do a better job of training each of us to recognize sin, to understand its, its effects on our life, no matter how big or how small. And um, the fact that we can overcome it. We can overcome sin through Jesus Christ, who did that for us on the cross. We have to focus on those things, guys. That, that has to become central to the message that we give here. Because if not, this is the, this is the image of the church to the world. We're going to just do what we want to do. We're going to go and we're going to have a good time. We're going to have fun. We're going to party. We're going to smoke pot. And we're going to say it's all in the name of Jesus. I see it. I see it in my own life, in my own walk, where I compromise a lot of times my own beliefs, my, my, my beliefs because it's the job or whatever situation I'm in, and it's just not cool in the moment to be a Christian. I'd much, much rather follow the, the group because I can't stand on my own. And the reality is I can't, but I can stand on Jesus so we have the power to overcome. Um, today, we're going to do something a little different because I have a lot of scripture, but what I want you guys to understand is if you want to deal with stubborn sin, if you want to still uh, deal with patterns of sin in your life, it starts with knowing what God, knowing what the Word says about dealing with those things. So Paul was very familiar with uh, stubborn sin. Let's see, we go. Paul speaks to sin. 
So on Romans 7, 18, 24, I want you to hear what this has to say. I'm coming out this way. You want to follow me since you're on the live feed here so you can see this beautiful audience that we've got? And this young lady right here is going to, you can just stand up and speak into this. Okay. Look there. <laughs> um. Read it. Okay, this is Romans 7, 17 through 24. So I am not the one doing wrong. It is sin living in me that does it. And I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. But if I do what I don't want to do, I am not really the one doing wrong. It is sin living in me that does it. I have discovered the principle of life. That when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law with all my heart, but there is another power within me that is at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? So I keep doing what I don't want to do. So there's another version of this that, that Paul has in the message um, that I want you to hear it from the perspective of, of the message and uh, how, it's, how it's read while we're still on this one. Okay, guys? So let's read it right here. Hold on. Come here. Oh, Miss Karina. Right there so they can hear you on tape. But I need something more. For if I know the law but still can't keep it, and if the power of sin within me keeps sabotaging my best intentions, I obviously need help. I realize that I don't have what it takes. I can will it, but I can't do it. I decide to do good, but I don't really do it. I decide not to do bad, but then I do it anyway. My decisions, such as they are, don't result in actions. Something has gone wrong deep within me and gets the better of me every time. It happens so regularly that it's predictable. The moment I decide to do good, sin is there to trip me up. I truly delight in God's commands, but it's pretty obvious that not all of me joins in that delight. Parts of me covertly rebel, and just when I least expect it, they take charge. I've tried everything and nothing helps. I'm at the end of my rope. Is there no one who can do anything for me? Isn't that the real question? The answer, thank God, is that Jesus Christ can and does. He acted to set things right in this life of contradictions, where I want to serve God with all my heart and mind, but am pulled by the influence of sin to do something totally different. Thank you, Miss Karina. I always love the message. It puts it in terms I can understand. So, dealing with stubborn sin, knowing the truth, starts with knowing the truth, that Jesus has defeated all of its effects, and that Jesus has extended victory to every person uh, that says yes to him, who makes him Lord. The reality is, we live in this place just like Paul, every day. We know, we have guilt, we have shame, we disqualify ourselves. All the time. All the time. Um, 
you know, but in 25, in Romans 25, it said, thank God the answer is in Jesus Christ our Lord. So you see how it is. In my mind, I really want to obey God's law, but because of my sinful nature, I am a slave to it. Alpha. Kim had brought up something about Alpha. Years ago, we had a, an Alpha course, and I was new to the church. Um, I went through Alpha and uh, had my own misunderstandings of, of God and uh, got, a lot of clear, got a lot clearer picture of who God was and who I was and what he did for me. So I uh, got involved in leading and just being a helper in Alpha, and we have a weekend retreat that we spend. It's a, called a Holy Spirit weekend and where you go through and you just spend time um, through the movie with each other, um, really just digging in, praying, and experiencing the Holy Spirit. And I remember us in a, a group. We were in a circle and we were praying, and there was probably 14, 15 of us. We're holding hands, and we were praying, and, and the thing that kept coming over and over and over in my mind is, uh, you are worthy, you are worthy, you are worthy. For all of this, for everything that God did, don't listen to the enemy. You are worthy. You are qualified through the actions of Jesus Christ who died on the cross for our sins. And, and put us in the right place with God. And I kept saying it over and over and over again. I didn't want to stop saying it. They were squeezing my hands tighter so I would shut up. Because I kept saying, you are worthy. You are worthy. I wanted people to know that were on that course that didn't have that relationship with Jesus yet. Or, or didn't believe it. How many times have you heard... I'd love to come to church, but if I walk through that door, the whole building will burn down. Anybody here said that? Huh? Yeah, see, somebody said that. I know. I've heard it a million times. You know, the disciples were probably those same people that felt like the building would burn down. They weren't the, the holy people. They weren't the Pharisees. They were the outcasts. And I, I just remember that moment that it just stuck in my head that don't ever listen to the lie of the enemy that you've been disqualified. What Paul says in, in uh, Colossians, um, he says that he's speaking to the, the church, and in his prayer of thanksgiving, he says, and give joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people. In the kingdom of light. Give joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. You can deal with sin. I can deal with sin. I've been given the authority and the power to deal with those things. I just choose not to. I want to, but I can't do what I want to do. I can will it, but it won't happen unless I go through the power that comes through uh, Christ who, who actually gave us the power to deal with sin once and for all. 
there are two reasons why um, uh, sin seems uh, to defeat change. Because you want to change. You don't want to do the same things over and over again, just like Paul, but you keep doing it. There are a couple of reasons we're going to talk about today, and then Bill is going to continue on um, this message next, uh, next week. Spiritual laziness. We're lazy, guys. We want it given to us. We don't want to go after it. We just want to be spoon-fed. We're not maturing. We're like babies. We still want the baby food. We want the meat. God has called us to go after the meat. When you're, when you're a baby Christian, when you said yes, you're getting that spoon-fed. But at some point, you're on the front lines. We're on the front lines together. And, and we're going after the mission that God has called us to reach the world. So, uh, but we get lazy about our sin. You know, the, the, little, the little white lie, you know, you always heard that, you know, it's just a little white lie. It's not a big one. Problem with sin, it could just be a little sin. But if it goes left uh, undone, and you don't deal with it, it begins to take root, and it becomes bigger and bigger and bigger. And the reality is, because it brings on disqualification, and it brings on shame. You don't want to deal with it, or you try to deal with it on your own. I, uh, I remember, again, this is a few years back, several years back. I was out there sitting down, and, man, the Holy Spirit was on to me about a particular thing going on in my life. Sin. It was a, it was a sinful thing. It was an embarrassing thing, not something you want to share with with the world, you know. It was just the struggle that I, I was having, and um, and I wanted to be done with it. And I knew I couldn't do it on my own. So I knew I had to get out of the chair and walk up and tell the ministry team what was going on in my life and that I wanted to be free of that. I wanted to experience God's freedom. But I had to get up, and I had to humble myself, and I had to walk in my shame and disgrace from my sin and come up front. So I did, and it wasn't easy. Tears coming down my face, and, uh, and I opened up to the ministry team. And as I did... Both the people that prayed for me had the same thing going on in their life. And they started weeping and they started crying. And we all prayed for each other. We all entered in to, to our sin. And we brought Jesus in the center of it. So their secret was my secret. It was no longer a secret. It had been brought into the kingdom of light. And that day was a great day. It was a great day because it allowed me to open up and to trust Jesus. Not necessarily to trust the people that were up here praying for me, but I trusted God to do the right thing. I still was working on trying to trust people that would pray for me 
and know and then judge me or whatever. You know, we all have that, that peace, right? But the reality is, didn't matter. Didn't matter. You guys hear a lot about John Wimber. There was a, John was, you know, obviously, I don't want to give you the whole background, but he, he was very influential in our church in the vineyard movement. Here's what John Wimber did. This is how he dealt with his sin in front of the church. He goes on a trip to Chicago, gets a hotel room. I know we have children. He rents a, a movie. You guys know what I'm saying, right? The adults, shake your head, yes, yes, you know, right? So he comes back to his church in Anaheim, the founder of the vineyard. And he's probably got 2,000 people there. And he gets up, and he stands in front of all of them, and he, he tells them what happened. Just a bit of the story. He tells them he went to Chicago, and that he... Uh, had a weak moment, and that he rented this, this movie, and then he stopped. He didn't say why. He didn't ask for forgiveness. That's all he said, and he stopped. And he went on and gave the sermon. And the next week, he came back, and he got up in front of the, the church, and he finished his story. And what he said was, I got to telling you guys what was going on in my life, and I realized I hadn't spoken to my wife first. And I thought she needed to hear it from me before you guys did. That's the pastor of a church opening himself up to his whole congregation to be judged, to be put on trial, to be saying, this guy can't lead the church. But, you know, his trust was in Jesus and he did not let sin grab and take a foothold. He didn't let it hide. He trusted God enough to be able to speak up and be open and not even finish the story for a whole week. Do you know what people do with that? Do you know what kind of gossip starts to happen when people hear that and the pastor did this and the pastor did that and the pastor did this? But his reality was he didn't care because he wasn't there because the people wanted him there. He was there because God says, this is what I'm doing. And he followed God's voice. And he honored his wife in that process. And through that, we have almost 3,000 churches worldwide. Through, through that kind of commitment, dealing with, with sin, small sin, big sin, just not letting it take root but we get lazy in our sin. And we're not perfect. Obviously, we're a work in progress. We'll be the rest of our life. And this isn't my word. This was, this was Bill's word. We're not perfect, but the gospel, the gospel is. It's not a work in progress. It's done. What Jesus came to do has been done. Do you agree with that? If he came to set us free from sin, all sin, even the stuff that we struggle with that we say we can't stop, it's like a bad habit. It has to be true. 
We can't use the excuse that I'm a work in progress. We have to stand on what we know to be true. But if we're not in the word, sin has been defeated, the work is done, but we don't take the uh, victory seriously. We don't. And we pass along to the next generation the same thing that we've been living in. And this is the, the view of the church that we saw earlier in the video. Because that's what they've been passed along by us, the parents, by us, the church. They don't take the victory seriously. So we underestimate sin and we just live with it. I, boy, I'm in, I'm in story after story today about my life. <laughs> this is a huge thing for me, and it was very, very, very tough to get up and talk about. But, you know, I, most things I've been dealing with over years, and, and I, I remember going up to the, the Houston Vineyard, and I, God convicted me again. And I, I remember talking to Bill. Had something in my life, goes back to when I was a kid, that still bothered me bothered me a lot and I was ashamed of it and um, I felt like my, my responsibility was if Jesus could die on the cross for the whole world I keep pointing back because we used to have a cross back here that's why I keep doing that it's up here I think somewhere but if he could die on the cross for all the sins of the world then this one little thing that I'm holding on to when I was a kid, I could surely carry that to the grave. I can carry that. That's my, my cross to bear. That's how I looked at it. That, that's how I made sense of it. And that's what I told the bill. I said, if Jesus could do all of that for creation, the whole world, for all mankind, I surely can do this. He said, Jeff, there's only one thing wrong with that. I said, what's that? He says, Jesus never asked you to carry that. He never asked you to do that. That's not your part. He has come to set you free from those things. And it's our job to say yes and to give those over. We don't just live with it because it has a stronger hold on us than we, than we realize. And the enemy knows that. He knows it. So spiritual laziness. Um. Let's read Romans. Who's got 617? That's Miss Christina in the back. Can you come with me back here? Come on. I like this live feed thing. It's like you're on TV. Huh? Oh, you got to Okay, get over here, Vic. Come, come talk to us. Victor. What does this mean? Are we to keep on sinning so that God will give us more of his loving favor? No, not at all. We are, we are, de we are dead to sin. How then can we keep on living in sin? All of us were baptized to show we belong to Christ. We're, we're baptized, first of all, to show his death. We were buried to, in, in baptism as Christ was buried in death. As Christ was raised from the dead by the great power of God, so we will have new life also. If we have become one with Christ in his death, we will 
be one with him in being raised from the dead to, to new life. We know that our old life or our sinful self was nailed to the cross with Christ, and so the power of sin that held us was destroyed. Sin is no longer our boss. When a man is dead, he is freed from prior sin. Thank you, Vic. That was a different translation than what we had on the screen. But did you hear it? Yes? You can say yes. I heard it. <laughs> because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. When you said yes, you died to your old life, and you took on the life of, of Jesus. Jesus now lives in you. You have been set free from the effects of sin. Spiritual laziness goes, uh, goes to something like this. You got the next one up, defeating stubborn sin. Do your homework. Know the word. Read your Bible. If you, if you read your Bible, then you would know you've been set free, that you don't have to live in sin. Not even the one that you keep repeating over and over and over and over again. That God has the power through his son Jesus to free you from that. Operate in uh, the kingdom using the tools and the gear that God gave you. So, Ephesians 6 talks about the armor of God. Talks about fighting against the work of the enemy. He gives you the tools to fight the work of the enemy. Do you know that? Do you know what the armor of God is? Somebody give me something. What? Shaking heads. Somebody shaking. What's, what's the helmet of truth? It's actually the helmet of salvation. But yes. <laughs> That's right. So your, your homework this week, guys, Ephesians 6. I didn't put it up there for a reason. I got it right here, but I'm going to tell you what it says. The reality is you should know because you live in a world where the enemy is fighting you every day. Every day. What are the tools? What are the instruments that God gives us to fight the work of the enemy? So Ephesians 6, I'm going to talk to Bill. Next week, when we all come together, we're going to know what the armor of God is. The breastplate of righteousness. That's one of them. So, so I want you guys to do that. Will you all do that with me? And next week, when Bill asks us, we're, we're going to be prepared. And, and it starts with doing our homework. I, just, I think that, that uh, we don't defeat sin because, we, again, we don't take the victory seriously. And we just don't know what God says about sin and about the power that we have over it. It doesn't have power over us. We have power over it, but we give it, we give it power every day. We give it power every day. The second thing, um, you know, we talked about laziness, spiritual laziness. The second thing is rebellion. You see yourself as rebellious? There's one hand. There's one hand. You know, it was teenagers that raised their hands. It was teenagers that we saw up there. 
And if you're a parent, you definitely know teenagers <laughs> that, that they see themselves as rebellious. Here, here's the truth. Here, here's the, the false, falseness. It's not just the kids. It's not just the teens. It's easy to look at them. They're young. You know, they're, they're wanting to go do their own thing. It's easy to make excuses for them. But we're the worst offenders when it becomes rebellious. Hey, let's face it. You get a job. You make your own money. You pay your own bills. You do your own thing. I don't have to answer anybody. I take care of everything myself. I'm going to do what I want to do. I got a nice ride. I got money in my pocket. So it's easy to turn and walk away from God. When you got nothing, and let, let me tell you, the youth, they think they got it, but at the end of the day, they really ain't got it. When it comes to all those other things, they don't have that. They're dependent on somebody. They really are. Our job is to, is to focus their dependency and our dependency on Jesus Christ. Because if you do that, the story that you might be hearing about is a lifeguard got hurt and a group of kids went over and prayed, prayed for them, and they were healed. You may see that on the news. Wouldn't you rather see that on the news? Wouldn't you rather people see the church like that? That, man, who are these people that can go and pray for a, a, somebody that broke their leg and they got up and they walked out? Or somebody drowned at a, at a water park and these kids pulled them out during the, a Christian lock-in and they prayed and, these, and they came back to life. Do you think that would make the news? I think it would make the news. And I would say, that's the God that we serve. That's Jesus being represented to the world. So if you think that it's just the kids and the teens being rebellious, we're lying to ourselves. The truth is rebellion is an issue for all of us. Jesus... He's our Savior, but we are in charge. That's our mentality, right? You can save me, God, but I'm going to do my thing. I'm going to do my thing. And then when things get so bad, I'll come back to you. So the mentality is we are in charge, not God. So we go back. Why do I do the things I don't want to do over and over and over? Because it's my will and not God's will in my life. And so I, I don't deal with the things that I need to deal with. And that creates separation from the Father. So in the, what's the opposite of rebellion? If, if I were to ask. Obedience. Obedience. That's exactly right. To obey. So there's a story in... Uh, First Samuel, where Saul has been told by God uh, that he wants them to go and destroy, to completely destroy uh, the Amalekites, all right? So it's a group of folks that uh, gave uh, the Isra uh, Israelites trouble when they were coming into Egypt. And so God gave a word to Saul uh, to completely destroy them. So Saul gathered his people up, 
he, he goes, and, and when he said completely destroy, anything and everything that made them who they were. Their people, their animals, everything. Everything that, that made them who they were. So Saul goes, and he gets his people, and he wipes them out. But he saves the king. He brings the king back. And he takes all the best of their livestock, their sheep and their cattle, the best of their herd, and he brings them back. You know what he brings them back for? For what? For his personal gain. Absolutely not. But good guess. I'm glad that you, you're speaking. That's good because cause when I read the story, that was my thought. He's bringing it back. They're going to, you know, fatten up their, their uh, reserve a little bit and have some good meat and, and have good, good stock to breed, you know, and take care of the people. His response was, I'm bringing them back as an offering to God to give him the best of the best. In that good intentions, what did God say? He said what? Destroy them all. He had great intentions, didn't he? It wasn't for his own gain. It was to sacrifice to God. I'm giving you the best of the best, God. So this is in Samuel 15, 22 through 23. This was the response that Samuel, the prophet, went to Saul and said, this is what God had said. Here we go, Christina. But Samuel replied, What is more pleasing to the Lord, your burnt offerings and sacrifice, or your obedience to his voice? Listen, obedience is better than sacrifice, and submission is better than offering the fat of rams. Rebellion is sinful as witchcraft, and stubbornness as bad as worshiping idols. So because you have rejected command of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. You know what that was? That was the beginning of the end of Saul as the king. Because he had good intentions. And his will was to sacrifice to God. God's will was saying, I want it done. Do what I tell you to do. So he disobeyed. And there was a price to pay. So rebellion is key. We're all uh, in that place. N.T. Wright was uh, one of my father-in-laws, probably between him and Gordon Fee. Um, I, I spent many a time uh, over at the house listening to a tape or a, a cassette tape or a book that he was reading. and You know, I'm, I'm not a theologian, and these guys are much smarter than I am when it comes to reading the word. And Gordon Fee, whew, he's one of those guys that you definitely have to have. For me, I had to have a few cups of coffee to hang in there because it's kind of like this the whole time, you know, blah, blah, blah. You know, like I, I got to have a little bit of passion, you know, in what I, what I see and, and respond to. But that's me giving an excuse not to listen to truth. You hear that? So Bill shared this quote uh, a few weeks ago from N.T. Wright. 
And it says, a historically grounded understanding of Jesus, proclamation, achievement, death, and resurrection suggests that the heart of his work lay the sense of bringing the story of Scripture to its climax and thereby offering to God the obedience to which the kingdom would be accomplished. How is the kingdom work going to be accomplished? What's that last line? Through what? Through obedience. Through obedience to God. His work will be done. It's serious. It's, it's serious stuff. So we depend on Jesus. I'm going to read the rest of the scripture. John 4, uh, 4 through 5 says, Remain in me, and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit. If it is severed from the vine, and you cannot be uh, fruitful unless you remain in me. Yes, I am the vine, and you are the branches. We're the branches. God is the vine. He's what brings us life. He's what sustains us, gives us growth, keeps us healthy. Yes, I am the vine, and you are the branches. Those who remain in me, and I in them, will produce much fruit. From apart from me, you can do nothing. And in 2 Corinthians, it says this. We now have this light shining in our hearts, but we ourselves are like fragile clays, uh, uh, clay jars containing this great treasure. This makes it clear that our great power is from God, not from ourselves. So you guys stand up.